may head on out. It's for those four years to first or second grade, as would be helpful for your families. As always, kids are welcome to be with us this morning and here as well. We'll be in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59 this morning. But before we get to our text, I remember when I was a kid and my parents would warn me about certain things. Anybody been warned by their parents about certain things? Uh, Don't touch the stove or you'll burn yourself. That seemed pretty self-explanatory. I kind of got that one. Um, Don't play in traffic. Again, a pretty clear warning of like what could happen if you're playing in traffic, though I didn't always listen to them. Um, don't, don't do what I did. Um, but there are other things that were warned about that didn't seem so clear as to why they are warning me. And one of those that I remember uh, specifically, I will never forget this one, is that uh, we got our first microwave. Now, for those of you who have, you know, who are uh, younger than me, you never remember a time when you didn't have a microwave. But I remember when we didn't have a microwave. I know it's hard to believe. But we didn't have a microwave. We first got the microwave. My parents were very clear. And I was probably six or seven years old when we got our first microwave. They were very clear not to use it without them. And I'm like, it's a box with buttons. What can go wrong? I mean, why can't I use the microwave without you? I mean, I can't burn myself like I can on the stove or anything like that. So, well, I mean... You know, you just put your food in, you hit a couple buttons, and voila, the food is ready to eat. Well, one day I decided that I was going to melt some cheese to dip some chips that I wanted to have for a snack. And um, I don't, my parents, I don't remember where they were. They were probably somewhere around, but um, I didn't go get them. And I thought, what? I mean, I'm just going to cut up a piece of cheese, stick it in a bowl, and put it in the microwave, and then we'll be good. So I, I cut a chunk of cheese, put it in a dish, hit some buttons on the microwave, and then I walked away to do whatever else I was going to do to get ready for my snack. And I have no idea how long it was in the microwave, probably way too long, way, much longer than it should have been. And all of a sudden I hear, boom! It's like, oh no. So I go running and there's smoke coming out of the microwave and I open the microwave door and the cheese is burning. It's like charred. The bowl and the cheese have exploded. Now I understood their warning. There was a black spot in that microwave until the day we got rid of it. It stayed in that microwave forever. This morning, Jesus gives us some warnings, and they may seem kind of strange in what we know about Jesus. I mean, he's the Messiah, the one who came to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, to take the punishment of sin that we deserve, to be the prince of peace. And yet Jesus has these warnings about fire being cast on the earth, about division of families, of being judged and thrown into prison and never getting out. What are we to make of these warnings? Well, let's read Luke 12, 49 through 59. Jesus begins by saying, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, 
and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For, for, for from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us to understand what it is that Jesus is saying to us today. Lord, pray that your spirit would use this text, use your very word to transform us, that we might be conformed to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we still are in our series, as you might have guessed, in the Gospel of Luke, titled Certainty in Christ. And last week, we looked at chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. And we saw that it's important for us to have perspective. Now, we usually think of perspective as being reflective, thinking back on what we've already experienced in life and having perspective in our current situation by what we've already experienced. But what we saw last week is that the kind of perspective that Jesus calls us to is prospective, looking ahead into the future to find our perspective. We, are con we were confronted with the question, do we live prospectively? And we saw that because Jesus has promised his return, we must live prospectively with prospective preparedness and prospective stewardship. And today, we continue in this same context of Jesus' teaching on being prospective, of being prepared for the future, for the future of what is awaiting him and his disciples in their way to Jerusalem, but even more importantly, what awaits the crowds and disciples then and now. Jesus has warned of not being prepared and, how, and now issues another warning and what we have to ask from our text this morning is, do we understand the warning that he is giving us here? Last week, the warning was to be prepared, to know what was to come and to be prepared for it. And this, in this text, do we understand the warning that Jesus is actually giving us? Some might say, well, yeah, he's warning of the, um, the end of the world, Right? He's casting fire on the earth and he's warning of the apocalypse. Others have 
other ways in which they might understand this passage. So what is Jesus actually warning of? The warning is a warning of judgment, right? The judge in the final section of our text is connected to the fire that Jesus talks about casting on the earth in his opening words. And just as Jesus reminded his disciples in the previous section about the master's servants being awake and ready for his return, Jesus wakes us with a warning. This morning, Jesus wakes us with a warning, a warning of fire, a warning of division, and a warning of judgment. Let's first look at the warning of fire, verses 49 through 50. Jesus says that he came to cast fire upon the earth. As I said, is he speaking of the apocalypse? Does he wish that he could just burn it all to the ground, just kind of go napalm on everybody and just like have everything gone? Well, to understand the first statement that Jesus makes, we have to see it in the context of the passage and more importantly, the next verse helps us understand his comment about casting fire on the earth. Jesus says he must undergo a baptism and this baptism is causing him distress. Now he's already been baptized by John, John the Baptist as we know him, right? At the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan with water. So he's not talking about that baptism. What is he talking about? He's talking about a baptism where the fire of God's wrath will be laid on him in his death to destroy the power of sin and hell. You see, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what is going to happen, and he calls it this baptism that he desires for it to be already accomplished. A baptism that he will be baptized with, and how great is his distress until it is accomplished. He is distressed because he knows what is coming, right? It's why Jesus prayed on the night before he was crucified in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, right? He knows what is coming. This baptism that he must undergo of God's fiery wrath placed on him, Jesus knows that he is to bear this fiery wrath and judgment and his plea expresses his wish that it were already accomplished. Jesus knows that the fullness of God's wrath is yet to fall on him and he desires for this substitutionary atonement on the cross to be done as soon as possible. He completes his ministry with this, quote, bloody baptism on the cross where the full wrath of God is placed on him as he atones for the sin of the world. Jesus knows and understands the outcome of this journey that he and his disciples are making towards Jerusalem. Just like the whole burnt offering in the Old Testament, Jesus is to be offered up for the sin of the world as the fire 
of the Father's wrath is laid on him on the altar of the cross. Jesus' great desire is that this fiery judgment would fall on him so that he might save all those who he came to save from their own fiery judgment of God's wrath. You see, the presence of the Father's wrath upon Jesus brings a result that the disciples would not have anticipated. Right? This fire that Jesus has come to cast upon the earth will be cast upon himself. And this fire and baptism do not lead to peace in worldly life, but to division. The baptism Jesus must be baptized with brings division. And he speaks of that in verses 51 through 53. Now, this might seem ironic, right? Because if, if we're paying attention to the gospel of Luke, there is so much about Jesus bringing peace. He brings peace to sinners and the sick throughout his ministry. The disciples continue to be the heralds of his peace as they announce it from house to house, as they heal and proclaim the kingdom of God just a few chapters earlier. As Jesus enters Jerusalem in the, in the coming um, months, in Luke's text, the crowds will sing, Blessed is the coming one, the King, in the name of the Lord. In heaven, peace and glory in the highest. But Jesus, during the Passion Week, weeps over the city of Jerusalem because her people do not know the things that have to do with peace. So how do we reconcile Jesus, the peace bearer, with Jesus, the divider? Jesus does bring peace on earth for all those who are members of his kingdom and those who receive and those who proclaim the gospel of peace in faith. This peace between God and humanity is made possible because God's wrath against humanity, against the sin of the world, has been placed on Jesus. But this baptism into death and new life in Christ for those who follow Jesus will cause division and conflict among people. You see, the theology of the cross, that the cross is what unites us to Christ, what reconciles us with the Father, that brings peace with God and absolves all those who are marked with the waters of baptism. This cross also brings hostility from the world because it is foolishness for all those who do not believe. It is no difference for us today. As the return of Christ draws near, division continues. Yet Jesus' disciples will not stand alone. Even if forsaken and persecuted by the world or even their families, Jesus says, they are part of the family of God, the new family of all who hear the word of Jesus and do it. Jesus wakes us with this warning of fire 
of division, but also of judgment, 54 through 59. He, in verse 56, he says that they do not interpret the present time. The present time refers to the time of Jesus' ministry in that present hour. And already the last things are coming to pass in his teaching and his miracles. Jesus is suggesting to the crowds and the disciples that if they are able to interpret the signs that suggest changes in weather, then they surely should be able to understand Jesus' ministry as the forebearer of God's judgment. The time of salvation is at hand, Jesus said, says, just like the cloud rising in the west, Jesus is rising with healing and salvation in his wings. If you can't see that, you will not see any of the signs. If you can understand the natural signs of the changes in weather, you should be able to see who I am, what I have come to do. The time of salvation is at hand, Jesus is saying, but those who are rejecting Jesus and his signs are heaping up condemnation for themselves. You see, Jesus is warning the crowds, right? The thousands that Luke say are around him or are following him. He's warning them because they, remember, they were continually asking for signs. He casts out demons and they say he's casting them out by Bezelbub. And he, they say, give us another sign, and Jesus is saying, don't you see? Don't you understand? See who I am, what I am doing. Come to me. On this journey, follow me. Understand who I am. Believe in me. And he says that the crowds are hypocrites because they clearly have good sense to examine the signs for future weather conditions, but choose to ignore that good sense in the case of this critical time in Jesus' earthly ministry. Of all that they have seen and experienced in the miracles of Jesus, they do not rightly see the signs. And the connection here between this section and the previous section involves the judge, to be judged, and the judge. Right? The sequence is this, that Jesus casts fire on the earth because God's judgment is laid on him on the cross. And as the crowds judge or discern the future weather from the signs in the sky, so now they must judge or discern the future conditions by examining the present time of Jesus' ministry for its signs of eternal salvation. There's either a verdict of forgiven by the judge, eternal life, or a verdict of guilty, condemnation. Jesus is begging the crowds, begging you and me to see the signs to understand the critical time of Jesus' ministry is signs for eternal salvation. 
Jesus himself is the righteous one, the one who brings forgiveness and righteousness for sinners. This is what people must discern from the signs of his words and deeds. Right? It's no different today, right? You talk to people and they're like, well, if I only had a sign. Jesus has given those signs. He has given his word and deeds. Release comes through Jesus, the one who sets us free. While they are, quote, on the way with Jesus to Jerusalem, as Jesus talks about in this parable, the debtor on the way with his adversary, they and we have the opportunity to read the signs of Jesus' ministry, to see that he proclaims forgiveness of all our debts, and that he has paid the price. He has paid it to the full so that we might be released, that we would get out because he has paid it all. You see, Jesus isn't talking about the final judgment. He's talking about the judgment that he will receive. That yes, will fall upon all those who do not come to him in the final judgment. But Jesus has come. God's judgment is on me. Not on debtors reconciled to him and others. Since the fire cast on the earth is cast on Jesus, he is an adversary to the debtor only if the debtor does not see him as the one who assumed the debts of all humanity, the one who gained forgiveness for all debts from his death, resurrection, and ascension. When the gospel moves us to faith and when we are baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, we are brought to the other side of the division caused by Jesus. We are set on the side of Jesus and his family according to the new relationship that we have in Christ. Christ is no longer the adversary, but is now our advocate before the judge. The one who pleads the baptism of his blood and the fiery wrath of God that he endured on our behalf. Jesus warns us. Jesus wakes us with this warning and reminds us that he pleads the baptism of his blood, the fiery wrath of God that he endured on our behalf. He pleaded with the crowds. He pleads with us. Come to me and escape the wrath that I have endured. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is sometimes hard to be reminded of this truth that 
there is a coming judgment. And yet, Lord Jesus says, I am the one who has received the judgment on your behalf. Come to me. Rest in me. Find your hope in me. And know that I have already received the judgment in full. Lord, I pray that we would not only know this for ourselves, Lord God, but Lord, that we would be those who, like Jesus' disciples, like all those he calls to follow him, that we would be those who proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who has received the judgment on our behalf, that all those who would come to you, Lord God, would be saved. We pray this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.